Welcome to Crozier Cast. This is your host, Bishop James Wall in the Diocese of Gallup. And uh, this week we have a very special guest. We have Mr. John Free. So, John, uh, how about you say hello to our people and uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? What's your background? Sure. Thank. Well, uh, thanks for having me on. Pleasure to be here. Um, let's see, I'm a native of Jersey City, New Jersey, and I've been kind of nomadic since then. Most recently, I'm in Lincoln, Nebraska as the director of the Newman Institute for Catholic Thought and Culture, but I'm a teacher by training. I had taught previously at uh, Wyoming Catholic College in Hillsdale. My wife also is a professor, and uh, and we're, we're now into our third year at the Newman Institute. Okay, great, great. So maybe you want to talk a little bit about your educational background? Sure. Uh, I went to public school uh, in New Jersey. I'm a uh, public was, too, so Which yeah. was interesting. Um, and then went uh, as an undergraduate to Georgetown, where I majored in philosophy and literature, and then stayed in Georgetown, stayed in Washington for my first teaching job as I got a master's in, in literature. But then I took a, a kind of deep tour and uh, was for a while involved uh, as a uh, administrator of a college residence run by Opus Dei in Pittsburgh, um, and I went into journalism. I got my degree at Northwestern worked for Associated Press and uh, Cleveland Plain Dealer, uh, loved journalism, uh, but always wanted to, to have a more uh, reflective <laughs> kind of life. So I ended up going to get my doctorate in, in English literature at Oxford, uh, where I wrote my dissertation on, on T.S. Eliot. Nice. Very nice. Maybe at the end we can get you to say something a little about TSL here sure, as well. Certainly. But what we wanted to talk about about today was we're I think we're looking to the upcoming canonization of a great man. Yes. Uh, 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 Newman, uh, John Henry Newman, and that canonization will be on October 13th of this year mm -hmm. in Rome. So maybe why don't you talk a little bit about who Newman was and sure. maybe why he's so important to us? Sure. Newman was really one of the giants uh, of the 19th century. He's considered, apart from his religious and uh, philosophical teachings, he's also considered really one of the greatest prose writers of the 19th century, along with uh, folks like Carlyle and Matthew Arnold. But he was, a, he was a great churchman. He was a convert to Catholicism. And uh, he was very prophetic in seeing the effects of uh, what happened to a world that was... Uh, uh, severing its connection to God as what happened in the 19th century. And he, uh, he realized that a, a church uh, divorced from its doctrinal foundation was a church in, in freefall. And we've seen that happen in the Christian world in the last uh, hundred years. Um, so he was, he was someone deeply dedicated to the tradition of the church, and he knew that that tradition was rich and needed to be passed on to others. Um, he was also a great uh, promoter of friendship. He had great friendships uh, with those around him, and he realized the importance of friendship in in bringing people closer to one another and, and closer to God. Nice. So he was a convert. He was Anglican. Correct? He was Anglican. In fact, he was um, he was one of the principal preachers at the University of Oxford. He would preach at St. Mary's Church. And with the passage of time, as he studied the early church fathers, he became more and more convinced of the case for Roman Catholicism and tried to, for a time, to forge a, 
uh, via media between a middle way between Anglicanism and Catholicism, but in the end felt that he had to he had to cross the Tiber and go to Rome. And when he did, because of his influence as a great teacher and don at Oxford, he brought many, many with him and therefore uh, created a lot of resentment and controversy. Sure, and, and the, the Anglican Church, you know, their founding and, and kind of the movement, they saw themselves as the Via Media, right? They did, yes. And, and there was a lot of tension in the 1830s and 1840s, people realizing that, that Protestantism had forgotten some of the treasures of the early church, and many of his uh, friends and associates, people like uh, Pusey and Keeble, wanting to somehow maintain their allegiance to, to, the, to the Reformation and Protestant religion. And Newman, uh, in his typical sense of uh, seeking the truth, said he could not, he would like to do, he would like to do that, but could not. <laughs> and he, he, was, he was somebody who was, you know, steeped in history and knew history and knew it very well. Exactly. And yeah. so they're going back to the church fathers and reading the church fathers and the movement of the church mm-hmm. forward. They understood that there was, there was one church and was founded by Christ. And, exactly. And he wanted to be a member of that church. And he was one of the one of the things that's most admirable about him, just as an individual, is that he was a real seeker after truth, and he he was determined to follow that truth wherever it led, and whatever the cost. And it cost him a great deal. In fact, he he writes at one point, sadly, about once having converted to Catholicism, the only view of Oxford he had thereafter was from the from the train. <laughs> and later in life, of course, they invited him back uh, to his Trinity College, but, uh, but for, he, he, he had to sever and did sever relationships with many friends, or they rather severed that relationship with him, because there was such an animus, such a, a prejudice against Roman Catholicism in 19th century. Sure. England. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they were almost treated as second-class citizens. Exactly. And- Exactly. And uh, papist and all the, the mm-hmm. nasty terms, which it's not a bad thing to be called a papist <laughs> nowadays. And, um, In fact, yeah. if, if, you read the, if you read the popular literature of the day, not, not the great literature, but the popular literature, the, um, there are uh, countless times in which the authors feel a certain uh, obligation to slam Catholicism or monastic life. And that was just typical, typical 19th century popular uh popular literature yeah yeah that's uh that's tragic because it it it, uh, impacted so many people on a negative way um perhaps people that might have been trending toward the truth and trending toward the church um but when you you pass along their half truths or non-truths lies things like that it's yes it's not good at all it's like those um those uh with those chick tracks that we were, were kind of familiar <laughs> with here in the in the in the U.S. That's right. Yeah. So um, maybe you know I, these are two places that I've been, and we have Newman's kind of idea of the university, mm-hmm. and um, so two places that I've been. Maybe you could talk about his idea of the university, and then also Dublin and and Birmingham. Sure. Yeah. Well, of course, he was always interested in education. He was a teacher, really, by by temperament, and therefore had great great understanding of what. Uh, what benefit could come uh, from the study of great of great literature, with which he was very very familiar, and he saw that study of great literature 
as a way to introduce people or help them understand the fullness of the human condition, which of course is consistent with a Christian or Catholic uh, worldview. So, uh, so he writes a, a series of uh, uh, discourses on what a, a, what a university should be. He did this in connection with the founding of the, the Catholic University in, in Dublin. Um, and uh, so uh, he's really one of the great educational theorists of the 19th century. Um, and he's well worth reading. Anyone interested in education or teaching would do well to, to read his, his works. Sure. And he, one of the things I noticed with him with, with, uh, in terms of having a classic uh, liberal education, I guess in the truest sense, yes. that he saw the value of studying religion. Yes. Where that was little by little following by the wayside. Sure. Yeah. The 19th century, just because of philosophical development, somehow had made this, begun this divorce between, between faith and reason. Sure. And, and Newman realized that, no, the two work together, are complementary. Benedict XVI uh, called them the, the two wings uh, in terms of approaching, approaching truth. But the 19th century had a prejudice against religious belief, and they, they reduced it or wanted to reduce it as simply something irrational or the, as the result of sentiment. And, and that began a trend which is, is very much with us today. That, sure. That religion or religious belief is simply, is simply opinion or a matter of sentiment or feeling, and it has no foundation or basis in, in, in rationality. Yeah, it's it's almost you know in the modern sense it's almost that if the re- the religious man is viewed as a non-thinking man exactly which, which is, is the, what's the opposite which is the opposite and 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 for 19th century Oxford and the Oxford movement and the real great intellects associated with that and on both sides of the of the issue it was clear that the that the religious man the believer the believing man or woman was in fact uh, gifted with great intellect and that's something and that was really the the tradition of oxford and cambridge and indeed the european universities all of whom had their foundation in uh, in the pursuit of of religious truth sure jp2 pope saint john paul ii Mm -hmm. fides ratio Mm -hmm. which would would address that issue as well and you mentioned benedict 16th um with a mind like uh like newman um do you ever anticipate him being, uh, I think a lot of people are excited to be known as a doctor of the church? I think so. I mean, he de facto, sure. he, he is a doctor of the church. I think it's just a matter of time. And of course, that may come soon, soon in the wake of the, of the canonization. Sure, wouldn't they be excited if it happened all in the same day? <laughs> That'd be That's pretty, right. pretty exciting. Now, you're, are you planning to go to the canonization? Yes, we, uh, again, I, the, this Newman Institute associated with the Newman Center in Lincoln, Nebraska, we're into our third, will be fourth year come the fall, and we've already booked uh, spaces uh, there, uh, and I'm glad we did it uh, a month ago, anticipating the, the date of the canonization, because the the rooms are, are filling up. Sure, it's good that the it started to leak out. That was exactly. good that it started to leak out. Exactly. So some people, might, such as yourself, might have yeah. gone ahead and, and, and booked, which was wise. <laughs> um, it's like the, the wise virgins and the <laughs> foolish virgins. You don't want to be stuck outside. And I told my students, I said, well, one way or the other, I'm going if you want to come with me. Nice. <laughs> you know, please join me.
Hi, this is Suzanne Hammonds, producer for CrozierCast. This is part one of two in our series on John Henry Newman. We're now posting episodes every two weeks, so please join us two weeks from now when Bishop Wall and Dr. Free continue their discussion on John Henry Newman and many of his Newman centers spread throughout the United States. We wanted to announce that we're now on Spotify and Google Podcasts, so wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us there, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and now Spotify and Google. If you have the time and you wouldn't mind, we'd greatly appreciate if you left us a review or a rating on any of those platforms. It helps us to get noticed and seen by other viewers and promote this show far and wide. If you're interested in following up with anything mentioned in this show, you can find all of our links and show notes at voiceofthesouthwest.org cc063. Thanks for listening. <laughs>